Hello, my beautiful beanies, and welcome to The Bean for Thursday. First with yesterday's news, uh, we're looking back at Wednesday. I am Glenn ZB, and uh, we're still banging on about uh, Orr being reappointed, Adrian Orr. Um, we're going to have a little chat about whether the gang members are nice or not. Kate um, is heralding uh, the downfall of social media, and people are tuning into Marcus for more Moonwatch after the previous night's uh, groundbreaking coverage of the Blood Moon or whatever the hell it was. Uh, before any of that, uh, the government can control petrol prices. Is that, is that what's happening? You guys are getting very Muldoony, aren't you? Not at all. Um, what, what we are implementing today in terms of the um, Commerce Commission powers um, is something that's been floating around since the, the fuel market study consulted on in, no, in November 2020, I think it was way back in 2020, which seems a lifetime ago. And really, this is a really important lever to ensure that we make sure that consumers are protected when they fill up at the petrol station. Where do price controls ever work? Well, one of the things, I think this is really important to, to realise exactly what this is. It's not just saying that the Commerce Commission is going to come in and um, legislate the price of petrol if it thinks it's getting too expensive. It's in very certain conditions it has the ability to investigate. One of the things with the fuel... And market, regulate and set the price. Yeah, but one of the things the fuel market study did was say that actually New Zealand doesn't have enough transparency in its wholesale market. Um, that what we need to do is make sure we've got good competition in the field. But of you've introduced the transparency already. Tell me where, point me to one example where price controls work. So what this is here, it's not just a straight price control. I think it's really worth understanding what it is. What it is is if the Commerce Commission sees that there's anti-competitive behaviour, so whether where you're seeing that you're having companies colluding together or that they're abusing their market power, then they have the ability to investigate. And if they find that there's anti-competitive behaviour, then they do have the ability to... You have given them the permission. We're giving a cap. You have given them the permission. You've given them the permission to regulate if prices are too high. So what no. is too high? No. Yeah, interesting, isn't it? A bit uneasy when um, people can't answer a straight question. Like the question literally was, you know, where, show me where price control has ever worked. And, you know, that went on for a couple of minutes. Here they're trying to get Megan Woods to answer that question. She wouldn't. Claiming that it wasn't actually price control. But if you're telling people what price they can charge for things, isn't that price control? Anyway, um, I don't know. Adrian Orr is probably the kind of guy who would understand this kind of stuff. He's in charge of the Reserve Bank and still is for another five years. Uh, we've been hating on him, and when I say we, I mean News Talk ZB, big time. Uh, as Kerry. All I know is what I'm experiencing and what I'm seeing. All I know is what commentators are saying, and that's that we're in for a world of pain, that because everything was overcooked, we're now going to suffer as a result of decisions made by a man who's just been appointed for another five years. How does that work? I mean, most of us, most of us don't even think about Reserve Bank policy decisions. Because they don't affect us. Isn't, isn't that the way it should be? This shouldn't even be a topic for talkback in an ideal world. And yet here we are. I, um, once again, 
Yes, again, Kerry has really provoked thoughts in my head. Um, and she's really made me, she's given me some perspective. Thank you, Kerry. And I realized that I don't need to worry about this stuff. It's, that's the upshot. Um, I think I was just saying this the other day in response to a similar comment from her. Was that, oh yeah, we've been through stuff like this before. And it didn't really affect me that much. Things like the, you know, global credit crunch and, you know, before that, we had the, you know, the Wall Street collapse and back in the late 80s. Yeah. You know, it gets a lot of hype, gets a lot of news, but as a normal person, how much does it really affect you? Here's about Adrian Orr. Let's move on. Um, you know, what, how would you feel if there was a gang member waiting in the emergency department sitting next to you? Would you be a bit worried or not so much? I, I've seen, as I say, episodes in the ED where people who were gang members, they didn't have gang patches on, but I'm... You could, yeah. I knew they were gang members. Let's put it that way. Mm. Um, and they were really firing up. They wanted their their mates dealt um, attended to immediately. Mm. You know, and it was very, very intimidating. As I say, uh, I, I and others that were there, no one was willing to step in. There was someone from um, there was a security person there that spoke to them, and they just sort of dismissed them and sort of fobbed them off. You know, sort of waved them off. Said, "Get out, get out yeah. of my face." Um, so uh, it does happen. And I think that you were just lucky when you saw those gang members in the ward that you were in. You're probably right. I mean, they, they, you know, maybe that was a good experience. Yeah, it's almost like there are all kinds of people in the world. And you can't just judge a book by its cover. And you can't just um, write them off because they've got a face tattoo. Although some of the people with face tattoos might punch you in the head. You just never really know. Uh, you're probably just better off avoiding people altogether. Just stick to social media. Trouble is, what if there isn't any social media? What'll happen then, eh? Eh? You got Elon racking it up at Twitter, announcing sackings and then unannouncing them. Twitter laid off close to 3,700 people, but then afterwards, of course, started reaching out to a few more of them, you know, dozens of them actually, after the fact, when they worked out, oh, maybe we shouldn't have fired them. And we might need them after all. Twitter, though, has been losing $4 million a day which is a huge turnaround for the worse when you think about how hyped and talked up social media once was. Social media companies interest me because there's such a divide on that stuff now. If you're in the social media bubble, it's your whole world. You know, people make livelihoods off it. They struggle to understand why everyone's not on it. To them, it almost is real. They just can't fathom not being on it. But what if it all just implodes? Not a bad thing, many would argue, because it's not real. So does it surprise me that Twitter's in trouble, that Facebook's struggling and that TikTok seems a hotbed of Chinese spying or misinformation? No, this was all entirely predictable. The internet is a toxic cesspool of stuff which was, I guess, initially designed in good faith, but it's been rorted and wrecked by people after the fact and monetized to the point where you just don't know what you can trust anymore. The era of the influencer, interestingly too, is a weird one, one that some analysts believe is coming to an end. Their business model's under siege because brands would rather pay influencers to market their products on Instagram versus paying Instagram to market their products. So it is in Instagram's best interest to basically ruin the influencers. So if the influencers go, what's left? 
Does Instagram end up in a Facebook predicament of, you know, old people sharing cat memes, i.e. a platform young people want no part of? So it'll be interesting, won't it, to see where all this goes um, and whether they can turn it around or whether we get to the point where the social media bubble finally just bursts. Now, if we can just kill off reality TV, the world really might be a better place. Uh, I mean, why would you be wasting your time fiddling around scrolling on your social media feeds when you can be tuning into Marcus Lush describing the moon um, if you were listening to uh, this podcast uh, yesterday you will have heard Marcus uh, go outside go up on the roof to look at the moon and then describe it for people who perhaps uh, were too busy to look at it or in a place like Auckland where it was raining and you couldn't see it but you know it was one of those uh, once-in-a-lifetime events that happens every couple of weeks. Uh, some kind of eclipse or blood moon or whatever it was. I'm sure it was great, but certainly what was great was the way Marcus broadcasted it. Now, of course, people are tuning in for that every night. This is the trouble you see. You set a precedent. As far as total eclipses go, there are none tonight. Just so you know. Um... Nice email. I enjoyed your coverage of the last eclipse so much that I've tuned in to listen again. I'm sitting on the steps of the Sydney Opera House listening to you while watching the moon. That's brilliant. There we go. That's a good email too. Uh, people in Canberra, people all over the world, looking over Lake Burnley Griffin towards Duntroon Military College. So great response to people that enjoyed the moon last night. Thought it was great. So there we go. Yeah, I'm, I think really the key to uh, the moon cover, Marcus's moon coverage was Marcus, not so much the moon. I think he could probably just go outside and look up every night, couldn't he? And tell us what he sees. And then after a while, he probably wouldn't even really need to go outside. I mean, he's in Invercargill. Who's, who's going to know what he's looking at? You know what I mean? I don't know what things look like from down there. I'd believe him. It's the Magical Radio. I'm BZB. Thank you for listening to my Magical Radio. And we'll be back with more of this great magic tomorrow. See you then.